0: Welcome to the Exacting Clam Cephalopodcast. Exacting Clam is a new magazine of arts and ideas brought to you by Sagging Meniscus Press. I'm your host, Kevin phillips Royce. So let's begin our very first Cephalopodcast with a poem from Kurt Lux, from his book of poems entitled, Falling in the Direction of Up. This is called, To Michael Beasley, Who Beat My Turtles to Death. Why my mother kept letting you in the house, I'll never know. It would always be when I was not at home. Then she would resume her routine, staring out the window while stirring a cup of tea that was at least half sugar, all that sweetness wasted on a zombie of postpartum depression. Seven feral children in ten years. You, of course, did not dawdle. You got right down to business, heading straight to the room I shared with my three brothers and removing my pet turtles from the terrarium where they must have thought they were safe. The last thing they would see was our peeling ceiling. And whatever blunt object your grubby little fist wielded. One time it was my prized possession. A talking G.I. Joe figurine capable of uttering half a dozen urgent battlefield phrases. After that, his neck bent at an odd angle. And whenever I pulled his string, all he could say was, Medic, get that stretch out here." But there was no medic for my turtles, or for me. That was Kurt Luck's poem from his book entitled Falling in the Direction of Up. Next in our Cephalopodcast is a short story by Charles Holderfer from his collection of short fiction published by Sagging Meniscus Press entitled, Dick Cheney in Shorts. This story is called, The Plans. Like many people, my friend Herb had his demons, but what set him apart was that he kept them in a pen in his backyard. One night after dinner when we'd finished dessert and everyone at the table leaned back and felt the meal settle, he invited us to come out and take a look. Oh, they're not interested, his wife Marjorie told him. She smiled at Nancy and me. Are you sure you don't want some more apple crumble? We shook our heads, stuffed, I protested. They might want to see them, said Herb. Not that I'm insisting. I constructed the pen myself. It's my own design. What do you think? Oh, uh, we could, said Nancy. She eyed me across the table. I knew that she wasn't keen on the idea because she started work early the next morning. We had a long drive ahead of us back to North Platte. But I was intrigued. Sure. Why not, I told them. So, with a scraping of chairs, we got up from the table. Dickie, a skinny boy with butterscotch hair, trotted in from the living room. He'd been excused from supper long ago in order to listen to The Shadow. Now he seemed excited. You gonna see them? I'm coming too. He ran ahead and flung open the screen door. Outside? It was dusk. Daylight was dwindling, and the only sound was a low thrum-hum, thrum-hum of cicadas. The air felt cool and smelled of growing green. As we moved across their patio and onto the grass, stars were beginning to appear above the trees and the lip of the horizon. Dicky reached the pen first, his fingers curling in the chain link. In this light, you could still see them scramble and dart across packed dirt. They were very quick. Approaching the pen, Nancy took my arm and giggled. She was nervous. I could tell. Suddenly, so was I. Yet at the same time, I I wanted to press closer and get a better look. Crazy, eh? (laughs) Said Dickie and shook the wires, rattling as much as he could. I don't know what he sees in them, said Marjorie, folding her arms in front of her. I would never keep mine that way. Herb had fallen back from the rest of us and now approached with his hands in his pockets. On the way he noticed a baseball in the grass and paused to kick it toward the hedge, where no one would trip on it. Come on, Dad, Dickie urged. Show them. Go ahead. The boy stepped aside for his father. Herb cleared his throat, then bent forward and spoke in a low, steady voice. This is where you end up, he murmured, and activity in the pen increased. There was more scuffling. This is as far as you go. We're safe now, aren't we? The scuffling intensified and there was something Plaintive in Herb's question, a a pleading note, unlike anything I've heard over dinner. Maybe it was the way he said we? Earlier this evening, we had referred to everyone at the table as we'd passed around the plates of food and spoken of property prices and promotions for soil conservation agents. Herb and I worked in the same field and had roomed together in college. We went way back. This is a good place to raise a family. He and Marjorie had agreed. Dickie likes it here too. Did he show you his ant farm? Now Herb spoke toward the wire. Do you miss me? Do you? He was answered with a shriek. This startled me and I reeled back. Nancy recoiled too. In the pen they ran faster and faster till they were just gray flickers and Herb's beseeching voice was drowned out by little screams rising into the night sky. Dickie ran alongside the wires with his feet moving in a jerky dance. Marjorie shook her head and clapped her hands over her ears. She mouthed words, but it was impossible to make out what she was saying. It was like speaking into the wind. I nodded and pretended to understand while Nancy pulled my arm. She wanted to leave. I think we were both unnerved. Now Herb moved away from the wire, and the noise level went down instantly. He turned to us with a sad, twisted smile. So, there we go. Well, Herb, I replied, uh, that sure is uh, something. I didn't know whether to comfort or congratulate him. The fighting in the pen slackened, and Irv called over his shoulder. I'm leaving you now. This stirred them up again. In fact, it seemed to provoke and madden them. Once more it was impossible to speak. Such was the vociferation. Dicky dropped to his knees beside the pen, laughing on the other side of the wire. They whirled and screamed. Dicky picked up a stick and began to poke it into the cage. When Herb saw this, he swiftly stepped forward, grabbed the boy by the arm, and jerked him to his feet. Gave him a shake. He pulled him away toward the house. He scolded. What's the big idea? That's not nice. I was only playing. It didn't hurt anything. Son, you shouldn't tease them. Herb said, patting him on the shoulder. You'll see. You'll have your own someday. Nancy and Marjorie hurried across the patio. Suddenly, all was silent again, except for the thrum-hum, thrum-hum of the cicadas. Herb released Dickie and then leaned in close to me and said softly, If you want, I can send you the plans. That was Charles Haldiff's story, The Plans, from his collection of short fiction titled Dick Cheney in Shorts. Let's take a moment now for Stephen D. Schroeder's live updates, 48 posts in the past 24 hours, sorted old to new, found in issue number one, summer 2021 of Exacting Clam. Rumors could spread by breath or touchscreen. Virus might transmit through fecal matter. Inspection of city sewerage predicts infection spikes. Disease causes massive gastrointestinal distress. (laughs) Government's emergency toilet paper reserve disappears. President declares war against contagiousness. A study finds crowds are fine, except for people. Nation's shut-ins should feel fucking lucky, some say. You don't get it unless you get it. Epidemic Skeptic says. Would many, many cases at once reset the meter? Infection curve becomes a thrilling theme park roller coaster. <laughs> Economy won't fail if we don't look down. Foreign virus production brought back on shore. States unsure whether to reopen businesses by force. Students return to learning 33% virtual, 33% in person, and 33% in purgatory. Experts recommend not coughing into 50 uncovered mouths a minute. Officials debate suggesting protective shrugs. Is an ounce of prevention worse than death? Too inconvenient to even ask about prevention surveys. A test show a 50% or less may or may not have or have had infection. Poll shows 50% wouldn't know this symptom if it bit them. Virus could term random internal organs into goo, or maybe glue? Mm, Molten gold is a miracle cure, according to commercials. Disease targets losers, according to anonymous sources. Ignore the bodies, according to executive order. To double the number of beds available, hospitals cut and stack. Disturbing minority healthcare disparities update number 834. Potential defects investigated in protective shrugs. Study of molten gold injection hints at harmful side effects. Eccentric pharmaceutical firm starts vaccine scavenger hunt. Virus power rankings versus cancer. Carex. Context. Expertise distrusted experts claim, but should you trust them? Study determines unconfirmed reports surviving the air for hours. Disease caused by lies, president alleges without evidence. Opinions differ on drinking molten mm. gold for health. Wealthy megadoners to wallow and vaccine dose pool. Tracking shows cases coming closer and closer. Tracking shows cases coming from inside the house. Virus might be hiding behind you as you read this. How long before your clenched chest is more than wary? Study discovers your space compresses a little each night. Why the recurring dream, where you can only mime goodbye? Distant has a different definition now. Is what is what will be, or will what was be again? Virus might transmit if you think about it. Virus variant might transmit if you don't think about it. (sighs) Everything you thought you knew has changed. Too normal could be the newest warning sign. That was Stephen D. Schroeder's live updates. 48 posts in the past 24 hours, sorted old to new. Here's another piece from issue number one, summer twenty twenty-one of Exacting Clam. A short story by Daniel Beauregard entitled After Kafka. Mm, oh. Uh, "'I'd like to return this mirror, if I may,' (laughs) says a man struggling with a large mirror in his hands. "'And what seems to be the problem with this particular mirror?' The clerk in the complaints department asks, without looking up. "'I can't see myself in it. That's the problem. "'The more I look at it, the more I realize I could never see myself in such a mirror.' No, not this one. It's just not possible. And it certainly wasn't cheap. The salesperson seems taken aback, then vaguely gestures. He'll return in a moment, shuffling off into a darker corner of the office. A strong, towering man with a fiery red beard emerges from the shadows and takes the place where the previous clerk was sitting, The chair groaning beneath his weight. Now what seems to be the problem? As I explained to your associate, this mirror doesn't work. What? Doesn't work, you say? The man scratches his beard in thought, then stands up from behind the desk, crossing to the front of the room where the other man stands nervously, still struggling to hold the heavy mirror. Um, Prop it up there. The other man says, pointing to a nearby chair. Let's have a look. The nervous man props the mirror up against the chair. Both stand back and look. Uh, After a moment, the man with the fiery beard exclaims, By Christ, you're right. My head's been cut clear off. The heavy mirror then suddenly slid off the chair and onto the floor, shattering into a multitude of pieces. Horrified, the nervous man got down on his hands and knees, hurriedly picking up the shards until he froze. Each one bore his face in varying degrees, but none the precise one he was looking for. And that was After Kafka, a short story by Daniel Beauregard. Well, there it is, our very first cephalopodcast. If you like what you've heard, you can become a cephalopodcaster by visiting exactingclam.com. You can also check out our web edition magazine of Exacting Clam, a new magazine of arts and ideas published by Sagging Meniscus Press. I'm Kevin Phillips-Royce. I've had a great time, and I hope you did too. And until next time, clam on.